I'm not limping, and that's nice. It's a nice change from last week. Uh, I don't know if you're on the prayer page or not, but I found out that I had gout. That was fun. I thought that was just for old people, which apparently I am now. So, uh, the doctor told me that. I told him, that's not possible. I'm a young guy. I'm only like 20. Then I realized I'm not. Uh, so, but God cleared it up really quickly. So, thank you for those of you who prayed. And uh, I was told by some, that means I eat too much red meat. So, get used to seeing me limp. So, that's the way I'm dealing with that. So, uh, no, uh, we're going to continue in our Truest series this morning. And uh, like we've done every uh, sermon so far, we're going to start with a little bit of a game. Um, let me catch up here digitally so I'm on the right page. Oh, did we dismiss children or did they dismiss themselves? I, probably those that were in here already ran out. So, um, all right. So, children, if you're still in here, you're dismissed. Uh, so, if our con- game contestants could come on up this morning, we actually, if you're not familiar with what this is, because I had no idea, um, this is the old Bible quizzing hardware here. So, um, they've graciously agreed to come up and test out our Bible quizzing software, or not software, hardware. I don't think software existed when this was made. Uh, it's undoubtedly older than I am, so uh, maybe it can get gout. Uh, all right, so this morning it's going to be a uh, pattern recognition uh, test here for these contestants. Uh, that have so graciously agreed to come up here without knowing what's going to happen. So, um, oh, I'm failing over here. All right, so the, the goal of this game uh, is that they are going to have to figure out which thing doesn't fit, okay? You know that. I already shared that with you all. Um, you're, the goal is there's going to be a list of things, and uh, read the question because some of the questions ask a very specific thing, uh, but the goal is to figure out basically which one doesn't fit into the grouping. Uh, we have this fancy little thing here that'll tell me who stood up first, okay? So if you stand up or you, I guess all you got to do is pop up for a second, quick second, and I don't see any lights on. This is, nope, I see no lights. Wait. It helps if I turn it on. There we go. Now there's lights. Okay. Turning it on helps. Uh, Those of you, I want to see if anybody in the congregation gets it quicker than they are. But when you stand up or move and your light lights up, uh, you must answer immediately both which one doesn't fit and why it doesn't fit. Okay? You have to have the explanation. So you can't just randomly try to guess each time. Uh, You got to be able to tell me why which one doesn't fit. Okay. So first one, test this out. Which word does not belong? Oh, I got one. That's Jonathan. Okay, it's uh, Aha, there we go. That's pretty good. Anybody get it quicker than them? No? No? Okay. Jonathan gets a point. We don't have points. We don't have, you guys have to keep your own points uh, because we can't do points and this at the same time. All right? All right, next one. Which, is, which word is the odd one out? Uh, I got five. Nope, it's not right. Which is the odd one out? Incorrect. 
See, now, I didn't get many of these, but I got this one. Some of these I did not get. Some of these are kind of hard. Go with the final countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. I heard someone yell salmon. That's the correct answer. Why? <laughs> nope. It's salmon because it's the only one that doesn't have two A's. Focusing on the wrong thing, all right? Woo, that's a good one. Just so you know, that wasn't the hardest one, okay? <laughs> all right. Which one is the odd one out? I got three. Go ahead, Courtney. It's not one of the chipmunks. That's right. That's correct. All right. Which word or words does not belong? I got Doretta. That is correct. It is C, replace, because all the other ones deal with getting rid of, except for replace, is putting something back. Guys are good. I, I was hoping this group would be good at this game, and you are. Which word doesn't belong? This is quite possibly the hardest one. This is one I did not get. Oh, five, Doretta. Correct, man, she is, she's sharp, this one. Blue, two, and here all have words that are spelled differently but sound the exact same. False does not. I think they're called homophones. Homophones? I don't know. That's what the answer sheet said, so I'm not that smart. So, uh, Man, that was good. I sat there and looked at that thing for like five minutes and didn't figure it out. All right, number six. Which one does not belong? Oh, Doretta. Uh, uh, <laughs> nope. Nope. Jonathan? April is the only one. Nope. November is the only one. The end? Oh, Courtney, okay. August. All the other ones have 30 days, has September, April, June, and November. August is the only one that's got 31. So, all right. Some of you guys are getting it quicker, okay? Good job. Next one. One of these famous people is not like the others. Who is it? Oh, oh go ahead, Doretta. That's right. Most people get this one wrong because they think Benjamin Franklin was a president. He was not. He's just a famous person from that time period. All right. Next, which is the odd one out? Oh, I got Doretta first. 
Incorrect. Jonathan? Incorrect. That is a possibility. Yeah, but a, 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 you said drill because all the other ones are held in your hand. But all the other ones are like handheld items, and that's the. So is a but a drill is handheld. So. <laughs> there are electric knives. Uh, go ahead, Doretta. Say it a little louder. All the other ones are sharp, are meant to penetrate something, except for a spoon. Okay, to round it. Yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> All right, number nine. Which one? Which does not belong? This is a hard one. Jonathan? That is correct, and the correct explanation. The rest are actually countries in Europe where Sierra Leone is Africa. So they're all from that continent except for Sierra Leone. He's good. All right, last one. Which is the odd one out? Doretta? Yes! Vampire bat, because it's the only one that's actually real. Throws you off with vampire. That's, it gets you. Great, great job. 100 points to all of you, because I did not keep score. All right. Perfect. Thank you for your help, Jonathan. Man, I did have a water. There we go. All right. Well, I was not wrong. We have a sharp group here. Some of you are sharp out there as well. But there's a reason. As you've, if you've been watching this series, you know um, I like to have fun. It's part of one of my big life values. I like having fun. But there's also a purpose behind each game that we've played. Today's game dealt with things that exist within a specific grouping, things that exist in, in a set group of something, and one of them does not fit. Uh, the goal in, the, in that game was to identify which one is the odd one out. So that leads me to a question. How many of you did not grow up in church? Okay, and we'll say by grow up means, you know, you were saved sometimes at, sometime after... Uh, 13, 14, 15, you know, you didn't grow up in that. Okay, so we have a decent number of people. For those of you that raised your hands, do you remember what it was like to be on the outside of Christian culture? Do you remember what it was like to walk into a church, to be at a church function, to be around church people? It was super comfortable, right? No, it was not super comfortable. Why is that? Of all groups that we should feel comfortable stepping into, uh, I, if I were to ask that same group of people, uh, name a group that you weren't a part of, but the first time you were around that group of people, you felt welcomed and, and included right away. Uh, my hope would be church was one of those, but the reality is probably not. 
true. Um, I even know some of your stories, so I know that for some of you, that was definitely not the case. You did not feel included, and you did not feel welcomed at, uh, at first. And for some of you, it was years before you felt included. Some of you still don't feel like you belong uh, in the church culture. But uh, remembering what it was like to be on the outside, to be that odd one out, just like the game, um, people were able to look at a group of people and say, mm, that one doesn't fit. That one doesn't belong, maybe, is what people would say. One of the dangers of church uh, is to create an in-crowd and an out-crowd, to have this in-crowd, out-crowd mentality. Uh, it has persisted in the church for a long time. It's not something new to the church. Um, it still exists in some churches. Um, and the problem is we're so quick to categorize everything. That's why some of you are really good at that game, because you're really good at categorizing things and figuring out what fits into a group and what doesn't fit into a group. That's a human thing that we're able to do. From small children, we have toys that teach kids to categorize things, and that's not an evil thing. It's nothing wrong with learning how to categorize things and seeing when things fit into a group, except when we do it as a church. We don't realize the damaging effect that it can have by creating a culture where it becomes very clear when you don't fit into the group, when you don't belong. Most of us would probably agree that it's not a good thing that somebody who doesn't know Christ would be around us and feel like they just don't fit in. Now, there should be a, a, an aspect to that that is a drawing, a pulling uh, that they want to have what we have. They want to experience what we experience. But just the sheer uncomfortability of not fitting into a group isn't healthy, especially when we uh, purposely do things that make people feel like they're on the outside. They're not allowed into the group. They can't experience the benefits of church until they come into our group. And we create these titles um, that, that further solidify this in-group and out-group, churched versus unchurched, Christian versus non-Christian, contemporary versus traditional. We have these titles that we label things onto and we rate people or we fit them into some type of grouping or, or pairing, uh, however that works. The reason we do it is because it's more comfortable to identify ourselves within a certain circle, to know, uh, for some of you, you take comfort in knowing, hey, I'm, I'm what fits into that churched circle. I, I, I'm a churched person. I'm not an unchurched person. We like fitting into and being able to identify with certain things. And again, there's nothing evil or wrong with wanting to identify with a group of people. It's just more comfortable to be able to say, this is who we are. We're this group of people. The problem can be that it makes anyone not already part of that set group feel like an outsider and feel unwelcome as they come in and try to be integrated into that group. Um, when they want to be a part, if we're not actively doing things to bring people into that group and help them feel welcome, that's when we, it creates a problem. The best, the best explanation I've ever heard uh, in regards to... Uh, the human condition and the human desire to do this, um, particularly the church, um, is a, two terms called bounded set and centered set. 
If you've never heard those terms, um, I can't explain it as good as this guy is going to explain it in this quick video. So I want you to watch this, and I want you to think about it from the church's perspective and how maybe we've been guilty of creating um, the bounded set in this. So let's hope this plays. There's one thing people have noticed about beautiful or urban centers like my own beloved Boston, which you'll see behind me. People don't tend to go to church in places like Boston or places like New York or many of the cities that you might be familiar with. And they wonder, why is that? We talk to a lot of people around cities like this, and what they'll tell you is that they've had bad experiences with religion. And so that's led a lot of people to think, what do we mean when we talk about religion? And that's led people to wonder if an image we get from math, strangely enough, helps us. And it's really helped me, and maybe it'll help you. So imagine two sorts of sets. Uh, one might be best pictured as a circle. We call it a bounded set. The other one you might best picture as a dot. In circles, you're either inside of it or you're outside of it. So I'm a man. If you're a woman, you're outside of my circle. Tough luck. Nothing you can do about that. I'm a Bostonian. That's a much more limited circle. I'm tall. I'm more than six feet tall. Obviously, as we keep going with circles, our circles only include us. Centered set, there's a dot in the middle, which is anything that you're centering your set around, and then every other dot represents all the other people on Earth. And the issue there is movement. Are the other dots moving towards the center dot or away from it? So imagine that these two sorts of sets represent ways to think about religion. In a bounded set, you're either inside of it or you're outside of it. Bounded sets are challenging for many people who are outside of the sets because they don't particularly want to jump into the bounded set because it feels cultural. So if I was like a Bengali Muslim and you were an Illinois Baptist and you said, hey, jump into my Illinois Baptist waters, it tastes great in here, you're going to love it, I might feel like, wow, that, that involves a pretty big step. It's not just whatever you might think about God or about Jesus. It actually involves being an Illinois person and being a Baptist and maybe how I would vote and maybe how I would dress and maybe my opinions about a ton of things all would be involved in making that step. On the other hand, think about it from the dot perspective. So let's say for our purposes, the centered dot would be Jesus. The only issue then in this set is whether or not all the other dots on earth are moving towards Jesus or away. Maybe they're going this direction or this direction as opposed to going right towards that center dot. What you're trying to do there is if you believe that Jesus, the center of the set, is important, you're trying to help people turn their arrows wherever they are, whether they're close to the middle or way, way off towards that set. Let's say I'm four feet from the center of the, of the set. Who is Jesus? Um, and let's say someone else is way over there back in the background, way across the river, but they have just turned their arrow towards the center, and I'm veering just a little bit. The theory would be, in this sense, they're better off than me. That uh, I've granted, I have benefits for being so close, and the second I turn back, there's going to be lots of great things. But the issue is just, which way are you turning? I think the practical impact of this, for us, has been pretty significant. In other words, that we don't spend a whole lot of time trying to help people change their opinions about lots of things. What we're trying to help people do is have an experience, an encounter with the center, in our case Jesus, that's meaningful enough that they would feel like, that's great, I want more of that. Rather than giving people points of theology or opinion that we want them to think about, we try to encourage people to do things, to try something, and see if they get enough feedback from God or from Jesus that that would keep validating that choice to keep going forward. We've actually thought a lot more about this stuff here, this dotted and centered set stuff, to the point that I've actually written a whole... All right. Pretty interesting concept as you look at it that way. I know uh, for myself, seeing that depiction of bounded set versus centered set was pretty powerful for me the first time I saw it. 
because it helped me realize how often we do that as church people, just as human beings, that putting people into a specific set and then uh, inviting them in, and not realizing sometimes when we invite them into our circle what it, the, uh, the other baggage that comes with it. Uh, for many of you, um, to be a Christian, <laughs> unfortunately I've heard people say this, um, in order to be a Christian, you have to be a particular political view. There's only one option for a Christian, which is ridiculous. We've created a circle, and we've said, you know, we've identified it as Christian, but we've jammed a bunch of other stuff into there. And we've said, well, if you want to be in the circle, you've also got to adopt all these other things. And we've talked previously about generational preferences versus biblical mandates, and we, we tend to jam our generational preferences. All ages do this. We jam our generational preferences into that circle and say, well, if you want to be a Christian, you also have to have these values, and it just doesn't work that way. Whereas with that center dot, all that matters is whether or not we're moving toward that dot, which is Jesus. Uh, that guy in the video, his name is Dave... Schmelzer, I don't know how to say his name the right way, um, so we're going with that one. He actually wrote a book you saw there called Not the Religious Type, so if you want to learn more about that, you can pick that book up. Um, it's, a, it's a decent book. His concept on the centered set versus bounded set is good. Some of the other stuff is not so good in there, um, but it's a, for me, it was eye-opening just understanding um, how we can tend to create a bounded set versus that centered set. I think the concept is pretty profound from a church's perspective. I've met many Christians who are technically closer to Jesus in proximity, but no longer moving toward Him. There's no longer forward motion. Their dot is no longer drawing closer. They've gotten to a certain proximity to Jesus, and they said, you know what? I'm pretty comfortable here. I'm good here. And they've kind of parked it. They're not necessarily moving away from Jesus, but they're no longer moving toward Jesus. Uh, We saw this in the church very easily when somebody who would walk in, and you could tell very clearly just by looking at them, their dot is pretty far from Jesus. You know, their, their dot's nowhere near Jesus. But they had turned, and they wanted to know more. They had come in seeking and we as church people, uh, and I say we because uh, I think we're, we all have been guilty of this at, at some point or another, uh, we can judge that person and say, oh, well, that person's not as good as me. That person doesn't love Jesus as much as I do. Now, our dot could be completely stagnant, and that, that person is beginning to move toward Jesus, and the argument there would be they're in a way better place than us. Being within proximity to Jesus is not nearly as important as continually moving toward Him. If you're at a place in your life where you feel like, you know what, I know God good enough, I'm just going to kick back and just ride out the rest of this thing until I enter heaven, that's a really unhealthy place to be. Just because you feel like, well, I fit into the circle, so I'm good, is not the correct mentality to have. The better uh, view of it is, I'm moving toward Jesus. So uh, what's nice about that is, uh, as somebody walks in, as somebody comes in, and, and doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter how they're dressed, doesn't matter, all these other things are not nearly as important as, do you want to know Jesus? Are you moving toward Him? And for this, on the flip side, somebody who has been to church for, you know, 724 years, and they feel like they're more righteous, they feel like they can look down on somebody else, the question is, are you still moving toward Jesus or not? So it doesn't matter how close you think you are to Him, unless you're moving forward toward Him, it's unimportant. 
I don't know if you've ever been in a boat. Uh, I was, my dad had a boat for a while, and I always thought it was interesting how if you turn the motor off and you don't put an anchor down, and we would be swimming in the water or something like that, what happens to that boat? It just stays right where it is, right? No, it's always drifting, always moving. And some of us, I would argue, find ourselves there as Christians. We've turned the motor off. We've said, I'm pretty good. I, I, I can see that I'm close to the shore. I feel pretty happy about that. And so we just kind of kick the motor off because, hey, it's a lot of work um, to have that motor on. And we just kind of float. And then we wonder at one point in our life, how did I get so far from where I was? I've not actively moved away from Jesus. But here's the problem. Jesus is always moving. The Bible gives this depiction of Jesus. We're always moving toward Him or moving away from Him. There is no, and that's what I love about the centered set is this dot, there's no way that you can move parallel to a dot. You're either going to be moving away from it or toward it at any given point. There is no parallel to a dot. And so uh, we can't just be floating on the water and expect ourselves to just magically be closer to Jesus. I would agree with Dave's conclusion there. Those that are moving toward Christ are always in a better position than those no longer moving or those actively moving away from Christ or, or remaining stagnant. So how does this have anything to do with our truest series, you might be asking yourself? Well, the two opposing lies I want to look at today, and they're complete opposites, and yet you will meet people in your life that, ha- that fit either one, uh, that lean toward one of these lies. You may be wrestling with one of them this morning. Uh, the first one, the stricter I am, the better Christian I am. And the exact opposing lie, the more freedom I exercise, the better Christian I am. Now, these are on two completely different ends of the spectrum, two completely different sides of the pendulum, and yet there are churches and Christians who buy hook, line, and sinker into one of these lies. Chances are pretty good you yourself lean a little more toward one of these true-ish statements, um, but I believe they are both lies, and they're both meant to accomplish the same purpose, to get us to live in this bounded set Christianity, where we say, well, uh, I follow the rules. I'm a rule follower. I fit into that circle. Or you fit into the other circle that says, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not bound by rules. I don't have to follow any of the rules. Or, there are no rules with Jesus. Instead of a centered set faith, which understands what Paul was saying to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. That's what Jesus told us, that we are free not to go back to the law. And yet, for so many Christians, they've gone back to the law because it's just more comfortable. It's easier to fit and and honor a set of rules than to live a faith-driven life that leans into the power of God and focuses on Him not on a, fitting into a circle, but always seeking to move toward the, the central dot that is Jesus. Many of you I probably, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but many of you probably remember growing up in a church culture that was all about the rules. Now again, I didn't grow up in church, so I don't have a lot of that mentality. I did get saved. I came to know Christ in a church that was really tied up in the rules. I was 
uh, given a Bible by a friend of mine after I you know, came to know Jesus, and uh, I was told to burn it because it was an NIV, wasn't KJV, so that wasn't the Word of God. It was a flawed book, and I was told to burn it, and I was told to get rid of all my music because the only thing that was worth listening to were hymns, and uh, there wasn't anything else healthy, and the, the DC Talk, I think, or Newsboys at the time, like they were all going to hell, and all these things. It was all about the rules. And in that culture, you were also taught to look down on those who didn't follow the rules. Maybe it was never said, was never spoken in that way to say, well, if they don't follow the rules, then you look down on them. They're bad people. And we worded it in really nice ways. Well, if, you know, if they don't follow the rules, they're just not a good Christian. They just don't love Jesus as much. See, in that culture, someone's closeness to Jesus was unimportant because it was clearly displayed in their adherence to the rules. How much they obeyed the rules told us how close they were to Jesus. What they wore to church made it it very clear how close they were to Jesus. The music they listened to, that made it very clear how close they were to Jesus. Whether or not they cut their grass on Sunday or Saturday, well, that told us how close they were to Jesus, because God forbid you were driving home and you saw somebody from the church cutting their grass on a Sunday. Some of you remember this. How evil it was to find out that somebody was doing something that we might consider work on Sunday. Well, they must not love Jesus as much. They better not be an elder and doing work on a Sunday. The lie, whether verbalized this way or not, was the stricter I am, the better Christian I am. The more rules I pile up and then follow... That means I'm a better Christian than you if I follow more rules. And I've seen, I've heard people pat themselves on the back for all of these rules they've created. Well, I've never stepped foot in a bar. Well, I've never been to a movie. Well, I have never danced at at all in my life. Now, that last one's true of me because I don't know how to dance. I just flail around and and do weird things at weddings and stuff. But um, All this list of rules that we create doesn't bring us any closer to Jesus just because we follow the rules that we created. I know I've mentioned it a number of times, but I'm really enjoying watching The Chosen. And in the fall, um, just give you a heads up, we're going to start one of the maybe Sunday nights or something like that. We're going to start where we're going to watch it in here. We're going to watch through the whole uh, Chosen series for those of you who aren't technologically inclined or haven't gotten around to watching it. Uh, We're going to watch it together, but I love seeing the tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. And it was, the tension is all around Jesus loved people and the Pharisees loved rules. And we look at that, we see that so clearly in the Bible, and yet the church went the same exact way. We created all these rules, and we said, if you follow them, it makes you a good Christian. And we believe that lie, the stricter I am, the better Christian I am. The less things I've done means the better Christian I am. Now, you may remember hearing statements like, without rules, the people are going to wander away from Jesus. Rules are necessary for godly living. Rules are what keep us from sinning. Now, unfortunately, some of you might agree with one of those statements still today. The general mindset is freedom is dangerous. Now, why would I be preaching about this on the 4th of July? Because at one point, our country was ruled by people who thought freedom is dangerous. We have to keep them oppressed in order to control them. 
And if you think it's any different for Satan, you're wrong. Same mentality. If Satan can keep you oppressed by the rules and the regulations and the law, he has won. Because Jesus already purchased freedom for us. Freedom is not dangerous. The idea is that we need to corral Christians with rules to keep them in the saved category, the saved circle. As long as we, you know, and that's what bounded means. We bound ourselves together with all of these rules, and as long as you followed them, you fit inside the circle. If you didn't follow them, you were outside the circle. I met, uh, I used to do a lot of camp ministry, and I was at a camp, and I was talking to a kid who uh, had been very difficult the whole week. And as we sat and talked, finally I understood the reason they were so against church is because they believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. But their church's leadership told them they weren't a Christian because they hadn't spoken in tongues yet. They didn't fit inside that circle that that church created. And it made them so frustrated and so angry with the church because of that. And man, we had a great conversation and it was a freeing conversation for them. But that's just another instance where we've created these rules and said, if you don't follow these rules, then you don't fit into our group. We'd even put people in categories. I I used to hear this term. Uh, I don't think it's an evil term, but it puts people in a category. If someone sinned, we would call them backslidden. They're in a backslidden category. Now, they might have really messed up and done something really dumb, but they might have immediately then turned their eyes toward Jesus and began walking toward Him. However, we would categorize them as backslidden. And if you hear that enough, that's going to have power over your life. Well, you're backslidden. You're a backslidden Christian. You're backslidden. Well, you know what? Maybe I just won't bother going to church this Sunday then. Instead of saying, yeah, you really messed up, move toward Jesus. Get your eyes locked on to that center again and move toward Jesus. This wrong mindset thought God gave us the law to give us a defined circle to live in. Well, that's what the rules are for. Jesus has lots of rules, and we would we love to refer back to the Old Testament and bring up those, those rules and laws again, even though we're very clearly understand that Jesus completed the law and we're no longer bound by that. Um, that's why we can eat shrimp and we can eat pork and things like that. Um, but yet we would still refer back to those laws because we... Th- thought, well, that's why Jesus gave us laws, was to keep us corralled. And we defined this law circle as good Christian. As long as you obeyed the rules, the laws that we consider important, you fit into this good Christian circle. Yet we're told in Romans chapter 5, verse 20 to chapter 6, verse 2, it says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin... How can we continue to live in it? I've actually been told by Christians not to preach on grace. Don't preach on grace because it gives too much freedom. If you preach on grace too much, people will wander away into sin because you're removing all the rules and all the laws. 
Some of you are parents. How do you feel when you kind of step back and you lay off the, the law with your children and you watch them do the right thing anyhow? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? It's pretty exciting to see them do the right thing. Killian's just getting to that age where, you know, it's kind of cool to see him do, do the right thing, even though when he's not coached or when he's not told to do it, uh, and that's pretty powerful. As believers, as Christians, that's the goal. That's what God wants from us, is to follow Him, to do the right thing, not because we have to, not because the rules tell us that's the only option, but because we love Him and because we want to please Him, because we want to glorify Him. We, we don't live a have-to Christianity. That's the bounded set that says you have to do it if you want to stay inside the circle, whereas the centered set says, well, it matters whether or not you're moving toward Jesus. If you do that, it's moving away from Jesus. If you do this, that's going to be moving toward Him. So it's up to you. There's no circle to fit in. There's only whether or not you're growing and walking toward Jesus or not. There was a whole movement within the church that feared grace, that feared this idea of grace, that if you pushed grace, it would lead the people into sin because you would remove all the fence posts and they could just wander freely. They bought hook, line, and sinker into that truest statement, the stricter I am, the better Christian I am. I don't know if you've ever done any studying of generations. So we've got, I don't even know what they all are. Um, I, don't, I don't, and honestly, I don't even know what we all fit into. Some of you are boomers, maybe? I, I can't remember. Uh, we've got builders. Builders are older. Uh, I don't know if we have any builders left. Uh, I don't know how old builder is. Boomer, uh, I don't know what comes after that. What's the, what's that one? What's the the forgotten generation? Now I'm, I've lost the word. Uh, nope. Uh, Gen X. No. Yeah, Gen X. Yeah, that's that's people just older than me, just barely older than me, and then millennial, uh, and then Z, Y or Z. Or I don't know. One of those later numbers in the alpha, or letters in the alphabet. Uh, well, we ha- if you do a study on all the different generations, it's really interesting to note that in order to understand a generation, so let, let's take uh, the, the millennial generation. In order to understand the millennial generation, what do we have to do? We have to go and look at, skip a generation. We don't look at Gen X. We look at the generation before that, which would be Boomer. Much of what the millennial generation does, their values, who they are, the way they act, is in direct response to the boomer generation. That's how the generations work. They're almost 100% of the time, what they do, the values they have, are in direct correlation or relation to the generations that happened previous to them. That would have been their parents or grandparents. The way they did things is in response. Some of you uh, live a certain way because your parents lived through the Great Depression. And that left an impact on you. And so uh, I know a lot of, of parents who, who their parents went through the, the Great Depression, they, had, they struggled with the desire to give their kids everything and to not be stingy, to not, be, uh, to not save too much because that's what their parents did. And so they're responding to that and they want to be different than that. And so they respond in direct uh, opposition to that. And look at the millennial generation. Some of you are what we would call that boomer generation, and for you, rules were very important. You, you, you know, that, that was something that was part of your generation, and you look at the millennial generation, exact opposite. They're fighting against that with everything they have. 
most often generations are complete pendulum swings. That's the, some of you went, probably went through the 60s. Um, some of you probably don't remember it, but uh, you did go through the 60s, and that was in direct response to the previous generations before them, the things that were happening. They, we swing the pendulum very much as human beings. We're not very good at living in that middle ground. We're very good at swinging the pendulum uh, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Because the, bre- the previous generations thought, well, the stricter I am, the better Christian I am, it's no wonder that these newer generations are buying into this truish lie, the more freedom I exercise, the better Christian I am. And for some of you, you're thinking, that's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense at all. And some of you are thinking that about the first statement. How could the more strict you are mean that you're a better Christian? I've heard the younger generations so often criticize the legalism of the older generations and pronounce their determination to debunk that fallacy with a no-rules Christianity. That's why this thing we call universalism has gotten so popular in recent years because this idea that everybody's going to heaven, there really aren't any rules at all. All you have to do is exist and you go to heaven doesn't matter what you worship or if you worship, everybody's going to heaven. That's this newer generation's response to a bounded set Christianity that said, unless you fit in this circle, you're on the outside. And they said, there is no circle. As a matter of fact, there's not even a dot. We're just all wandering through life and we'll all end up in Jesus' arms at one point or another. Both of those are a lie. You don't have to fit into a circle to know Jesus. And there is a dot. There is a Jesus, there is a God that we're either moving toward or away from at all times within our life. The younger generation, they'll easily quote verses like John 8.36, so if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Or John 8.32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Or 2 Corinthians 3.17, for the Lord is the Spirit and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I've listen to people use verses like this to explain how there are no rules. There's no such thing as sin. That's a cultural uh, amalgamation of, of, of different belief systems and cultures and all of these things. There's no such thing as sin. You can do whatever you want and God's okay with it because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and you will know the truth and it will set you free. I'm free from the law and so I don't have to obey anything or do anything at all. Most of you recognize that's ridiculous. We don't have a lot of millennials in the room, or else they might argue with you that legalism is just as ridiculous. Now, obviously, all of those verses are true. They're straight from the Word of God. But the conclusion that Satan leads the younger generations to, and not just the younger generations, but some other people as well, the conclusion is a lie. We know by going through the series, what the enemy does is he takes truth and he creates a lie. That's how good he is at lying. He is the father of lies, the Bible tells us. And so he uses verses that talk all about freedom to create a lie. Now, it's very easy to debunk ourselves as we realize uh, we live in arguably the freest country in the entire world. That's America. We are the freest country that exists. Now, are you free to do whatever you want with absolutely no repercussions or no laws whatsoever? Of course not. How do you think a society would go if there were no rules? There was no government, there were no police, there were nothing to keep us. How safe do you think you would feel? 
Some of you are like, I'm going to go back to my gun safe right now. I'll feel safe. Not very safe. We need some rules. We need some regulation. It has to be there. Even in a free country, there have to be some rules that we all follow for order and for peace. This conclusion that we can live any way we want and we can indulge every desire and that God is good with all of that because we're free. The Son has set me free. Peter destroys Satan's faulty conclusion when he says in 1 Peter 2.16, For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. Hold on. How does that make any sense? You are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Well, how does that make any sense? How can you be both free and a slave at the same time? Well, Paul builds on this more further destroying this faulty conclusion in Galatians 5.13. He says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. Okay, so we have a freedom, but this freedom that was purchased by Christ for us is not a freedom from absolutely any type of of leadership in our life. That's where some of us get this wrong. The enemy, the deception that the enemy uses, the faulty conclusion he tries to get us to, is that freedom frees us from responsibility. Freedom frees us from any type of repercussion or any type of problem that could come from our sin. What freedom does from the Bible's perspective is it breaks the power of sin over us. We were unwilling slaves to sin. We had no choice. We couldn't just decide, you know what? Ah, I'm going to give up sin today. I'm going to go walk uh, free from sin. That, we didn't have that. We were broken. We were held captive by sin, and Jesus purchased freedom for us. So when we receive Christ as our Savior, when we lean into a relationship with God, we are freed from the power of sin. Now, we, are, we become not uh, subject to sin, but now subject to Christ. Very clearly stated in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's the freedom that was purchased. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That's the freedom that was purchased, is the that we were freed from the power of sin that leads to death. And so, because we are free, we can serve God. We are slaves to Him. We've basically sold everything. The pearl of great price illustration that Jesus gives us, the parable. We've given everything for this thing that we could never hope to purchase, no matter how much we gave. And Jesus accepted it because He's good. And He said, yeah, I'll take it all. Now, He hands back our life to us and says, now... Use this as a sacrifice to me. Give this back as a sacrifice. And so the rest of our life is lived as a pleasing sacrifice to God as we live everything, give everything to Him. We don't add more laws to it. We don't remove the laws that God has given us. We walk within the guardrails that Jesus has given us on the path toward Him every moment of every day. So the answer to legalism isn't living selfishly, as some would believe. 
But the answer to lawless, sinful living isn't legalism. Some of us would lean toward one of those. One is not better than the other. If there's one thing you walk away from today, I want you to understand. One is not better than the other. Satan has some of us so convinced of these lies, of one of these lies, that you're still thinking this moment the truest statement that you bought into is the better lie. Well, if I'm going to err on one side of it, I'd rather believe that lie. That's a better lie to believe. Both true-ish statements are a lie. The stricter I am, the better Christian I am. The more freedom I exercise, the better Christian I am. Here's the truth. Having a disciplined lifestyle is great. Having a lifestyle where you enjoy the freedom Christ has purchased for us is great. Doing either one of those on the ends of the spectrum where we don't have our eyes on Jesus is bad. They both get us to focus on us and our actions, not on Jesus and on what He's done for us. That's the goal of both of these lies, is it focuses on us, on what we're doing actively today, instead of what Jesus has done. That's where our eyes should be. An abounded set, our eyes are on us. Our eyes are on the rules and on the boundaries. And in a centered set, our eyes are on Jesus. And that's what's most important, is that our eyes are fixed on Him. And when our eyes aren't fixed on Him, that's a red flag that says, I need to get back. I need to point my arrow back toward Jesus and begin moving in that direction. When we're interacting with somebody, it doesn't matter how far from the dot they are. What matters is we help turn their arrow, their eyes toward Jesus and say, this is who you should follow. Just follow him. I know you're really far from him, and it's not my job to judge that. My, my job, my goal is to point your eyes toward Jesus and get you walking with him and to help you walk as you, as you do walk toward Jesus, help to help you in that. If you think rules will bring you closer to Christ, then you don't understand the gospel. But if you think purposely breaking every rule brings you closer to Christ, you also don't understand the gospel. We are drawn to the central dot, Jesus, because of who He is and what He's done. He doesn't need anything else to aid Him in that. He alone is enough to draw us to Him. And we discover as we walk with Jesus that journey looks different for each of us. It's not all the same. For some of us, we can't step foot in a bar again because of what it did to our life, because of what it could do potentially in the future. For others, they can. They can actually have a ministry in a bar, and that's not sin for them. The truth is there are objective sins, sins that are just sinful because they're objectively sinful. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Objective sin. These are things, these are rules that exist within the gospel. But there are also subjective sins, Romans 14, 23. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, 
you are sinning. Ooh, that changes things. So for some of you, you're convinced something is a sin. But then you turn around and you put that on everybody else. For some of you, to have a drink of alcohol would be a sin because you're convinced it is a sin. But for others, you don't hold that same conviction. For us to turn around and say, well, if you do that, then you don't fit into my circle and you're not a good Christian. That's where we err. That's where we go wrong is when we turn around and say, with a subjective sin, something that's a sin for us but not for others, that's where we go wrong. And some of you fear that. You fear that reality that there are subjective sins. That, and I'm certainly not trying to say that all sins are subjective. There are, like I said, objective sins, sins that are just wrong because they're in the Word of God and they're not congruent with the character of God. But then there are others that we need to use faith and judgment as we walk toward Jesus. We need to follow Him, not some set of rules, not some check marks, not some, something else, but we need to follow Him. And when Jesus says, don't do it, we don't do it. Or if He says, do it, then we do it. And we just follow Him. And I know that's a lot trickier. It's a lot more difficult. It requires that we constantly are going to Him and listening to Him and hearing His voice. But that's what's so important. If we spent less time trying to identify who doesn't fit into our circle and more time pointing people toward the center, toward Jesus, we will live out the heart of the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are that central dot and that you are always drawing us toward you. Lord, I pray we would always be drawn closer into your presence, that the rest of our life would be lived as a pursuit of you, not a pursuit of rules, not a pursuit of different circles to fit into, but we would pursue you, Jesus. I pray that you would break the chains that exist in some of our lives that, that have, still have this lie over us that says the more rules we follow, the better Christians we are. The more strict what we are, that means that we're closer to you, that you would debunk that, that, that lie in our life, Lord. And uh, for those of us that sit on the other end of that spectrum that think yeah, the, the more that we exercise our freedom, the more that we purposely sin to break legalism, that, that means we're closer to Jesus, that we would realize both of those are lies. God, would you uh, ignite a passion, a fire inside of us that draws us closer to you today, this week, as we spend the rest of our days celebrating the freedom we have in this country, would we celebrate the freedom we have in you, not by breaking all the rules and living however we want, but would we celebrate our freedom by living the way that you want us to, that we would draw closer to you today, tomorrow, and the rest of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, very quickly before we uh, close, because I keep forgetting to do this, and we actually have them both here on a Sunday, uh, guys, come on up front here. We do have new members that have been members for a couple months, and we just can't get them here on the same Sunday. So they're here. We're digging this moment. Uh, we have new members in our church, uh, Eric and Trey. Uh, if you've not met either of these guys, I would encourage you to get to know them. Um, maybe invite them over for a meal or out to lunch or something, get to know our newer members. Um, just congratulate them and say welcome to them. Um, it was great going through classes with you guys. The elders have all agreed that um, that we wanted to move forward with membership. So they have been members, we just haven't been able to celebrate it on a Sunday. So um, as, they're, as you guys are filtering out today, just say congratulations to them. They're two new members to our church. So welcome.
all right? Now a speech. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, they both got nervous there. Uh, have a great week. Enjoy your 4th of July. Have a great day.